0: I'm author and athlete, Brad Kearns. Welcome to the Be Rad Podcast, where we explore ways to pursue peak performance with passion throughout life. Visit bradkearns.com for great resources on healthy eating, exercise, and lifestyle. And here we go with the show. That's what the carnivore scores chart is all about, is to help you focus on prioritizing the most nutritious foods that give you the most bang for your buck, calorie speaking, and they're not wasted calories that are difficult to burn for energy and more likely to be stored as excess body fat. Best way to hydrate is to hydrate strategically over a longer period of time. That's why many uh, peak performance experts recommend getting up first thing in the morning and hydrating and squeezing your lemon juice or your apple cider vinegar in there and getting your body off to a good start after being in a sleeping state for many hours what about organ meats? Oh my gosh, they are so inexpensive. It's ridiculous. And it's because there's no consumer demand for them. So you can buy grass-fed liver uh, from a quality uh, natural foods grocer for a few bucks a pound and make that a dietary centerpiece. Greetings, my fitness-minded listeners. I want to acquaint you with the Primal Fitness Expert Certification Program, the most comprehensive home study multimedia fitness education course in the world. If you want to enhance your personal knowledge of all aspects of leading a healthy, active, fit lifestyle, this total immersion course will be life-changing. I'm the lead instructor and author of the course, and we have 14 chapters of extensive written content with over 100 accompanying videos covering topics such as general everyday movement, including micro-workouts and dynamic workstation tips, the full experience of gym-based strength training and all the different modalities, a complete presentation, on all aspects of sprinting, both running and low-impact options, an assortment of high-intensity interval training and high-intensity repeat training strategies this amazing home-based fitness education for you and you get one-on-one expert email support and private Facebook group connection throughout your studies to ensure that you absorb everything optimally and you pass your series of exams and get certified. So go to Primal primalhealth.com. Coach.com slash Brad to enjoy a very special limited time. And I'm not kidding, this is a big time discount just for you. 25% off your tuition. A fantastic premium offer at Primal Health slash Brad for the most comprehensive fitness course you can ever find. Welcome to a QA show. Some of these cues are quite lengthy so the readers are speaking or at least writing and we have some interesting commentary so i'm going to try to mix and match some traditional quick question quick answer with some longer commentary because i do think they're relevant to uh, the challenges that we all face and the questions that we might have as we all strive for peak performance recovery health happiness longevity all that great stuff and stacy starting it out hey brad thanks to you i discovered mark sisson who is also amazing oh my gosh we got it backward isn't that great i turned someone on to mark sisson <laughs> rather than vice versa oh that's so cool and um yes indeed he is my he is my longtime homie we go back now 30 something years we just did a fresh new podcast i think you're going to love his commentary, especially on my recent reflections about energy balance and striving for maximum cellular energy status at all times and how that might compare and contrast to the template ancestral health message centered around practices like low-carb, keto, time-restricted feeding, intermittent fasting. It was a great show, and uh, boy, it's been a great journey with Mark too to help promote this ancestral health movement and see it grow and expand uh, with such promise for continued uh, immersion into mainstream culture, which, uh, frankly, has a lot of things that have not served us very well in recent decades. So off we go and on we go. Thanks for discovering Marxism, and Stacey. Uh, Stacey says, I just got two meals a day from the library, but now I'm uh, loving the highlights so much that I'm going to have to go buy a copy. Oh, man, what a compliment that is. Anyway, Stacy wonders, have you ever looked into the Catalyst, K-A-T-A-L-Y-S-T? This is an EMF suit. My husband and I demoed these last weekend, and they're very interesting. So yes, I went and hit the website, and you're looking at this space-age suit that you don and conduct a workout, and it's stimulating your muscles uh, on a different uh, level than uh, actually going and performing a workout. So you're getting this turbocharged workout due to the muscle stimulation uh, prompted by the uh, electrical devices that are in the suit. Pretty wild. Uh, Melanie Avalon, uh, my recent podcast guest, host of the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, is also doing this uh, ongoing uh, sessions with something called M-sculpt, E-M-S-C-U-L-P-T. And apparently, you just sit there and uh, have the device attached to you, and it stimulates muscle contractions, whereby it's equivalent to doing uh, a super badass workout where you're doing 500 bicep curls and uh, 250 pull ups, but you're just sitting there uh, getting those same muscles to fire. So, this is space age, people. I'm not sure what I think about uh, a lot of this biohacking where now they're apparently trying to hack the need to go and actually perform a workout that feels kind of strange Um, but when you look at the catalyst video it's super interesting and indeed we might be looking at some innovations where workouts become uh, more productive more return on investment and also interesting to me uh, perhaps safer right because i'm out there trying to sprint and get in shape for sprinting uh and the injury risk and the stress uh Uh, side effects of doing a workout that brings a lot of good fitness benefits is always there. We're always trying to balance between getting the workout stimulation that we want to pursue peak performance goals and possibly uh, causing unnecessary stress and breakdown in the body. Uh, That's why I'm starting to really love beach sprints, and I've done a few great sessions both at Lake Tahoe Beach and um, Southern California ocean beaches, and you can get uh, just as difficult a workout. Uh, with the same um, stimulation of the same muscles and working on your form, but the impact trauma is so minimized that I can actually conduct a workout that's significantly more difficult than what I'm doing on the track. In other words, maybe I can do twice as many reps. Uh, I call them 200 meters on the beach. Of course, they're going to be much shorter, uh, but it's pretty awesome that I can go and do eight instead of four and be breathing hard and striding out for 32 seconds each time uh, but not walking away, beat up and waking up the next morning super sore. Now, um, interestingly, the specificity of training is still uh, quite relevant in every sport. And so when you watch the uh, YouTube reality show Team Ingebritzen about the three Ingebritzen brothers in Norway, uh, some of the greatest middle distance runners in the world, Jakob, the youngest, being the number one uh, middle distance runner on the world right now, uh, when they are slightly injured and have to go train in the swimming pool or do cross training on the bicycle, they are bummed because they know that they're dropping off a significant number of percentage points from their running fitness, even as they run in place in the water without the impact. So there's no getting around the importance of simulating the exact nature of your competitive goal. However, Um, the cross-training effect in many other ways is profound. And so the triathletes learned that we would get in fantastic aerobic condition by performing in all three sports, swimming, biking, and running. And the crossover was amazing. You become a super athlete due to that hours and hours a day of training. So indeed, my long bike rides, especially climbing in the hills, helped my running fitness tremendously, but only if I was able to run at what you might call a maintenance level fitness level where i'd go and put in maybe fewer workouts than i needed uh or was doing as a collegiate runner and getting injured all the time but enough to leverage all that cross-training fitness in the other sports so um, that was a nice aside that didn't come on a question here but those beach sprints are going to be a fantastic centerpiece in my schedule but they need to be seen as complementary to actually going to the track and teaching my body to absorb that impact trauma from actual ground and be able to thrive and perform uh, from an appropriate amount of fitness stimulation in that area, and not too much. How's that sound? Does that answer probably a lot of questions of people wondering about the cross-training effect? Uh, Next one is from Jay Dominig in Los Angeles. Hmm, so in the show, The Biggest Loser, why did most of the contestants lose a huge amount of weight through diet and exercise, and then gain it all back? Great question. And it's important to reflect on this uh, hype and these misunderstandings about what is entailed for not just fat reduction, but long-term maintenance of your ideal body composition. So as my recent podcast guest, Stan Efferding, described in detail on our show, um, you can do any number of Uh, temporary measures to drop excess body fat. And interestingly, you will get profound health benefits just from reducing excess body fat any way, shape, or form by any means necessary. Uh, There's funny stuff on the internet like the Twinkie diet, the McDonald's diet, where people simply restricted calories, so they ate fewer calories than they burned, and they quickly will lose 20 pounds or whatever it is. And on The Biggest Loser, uh, the winners are losing, what, 50 or 60 pounds in a matter of weeks through starvation diet combined with extreme and exhausting exercise. So what happens when the smoke clears is you have done a major disservice and disruption to your metabolic appetite and satiety hormones. The body does not like to be starved and to shed Fifty pounds of excess fat in a short time and so you will trigger an assortment of survival mechanisms in order to not wither away and uh, blow away in the wind and 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 die so your body is put under this fight or flight response when you restrict calories and perform exercise to exhaustion or to the extreme Uh, so at some point what's going to happen is you're going to get Uh, more and more severe increases in appetite and the leptin signaling, which is largely responsible for satiety, uh, those switches are going to get all discombobulated where you literally can't stop eating once you have access to food, once you somehow crack and your willpower or the show ends or whatever it is, if you're dieting, 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 doing well, showing great results in the first two, four or six weeks, at some point, uh, things are going to turn around. Uh, one thing's going to happen on the metabolism side is you're going to turn down all those dials I talk about in my many shows about energy balance reflection. So you're going to turn down thyroid, adrenal, your body temperature is going to drop, your energy at uh, your general level of energy and alertness and activity during the day is going to go down, down, down if you are consuming too few calories to sustain an energetic lifestyle. So on one side, you're going to get less energetic and burn fewer calories and on the other side you're going to have a desperation uh, uh effort to consume more and more calories than you need um where do those end up that ends up in gaining the weight back and in fact typically gaining more weight back than what you started from and the damage shockingly can last for years uh there's a, a recent study that's been referenced on other podcasts I've listened to Uh, That's six years after the conclusion of The Biggest Loser Show, almost all the participants are still suffering from metabolic and hormonal dysfunction prompted by their experience on the show. So they all, almost all, have gained all the weight back and then some and are still showing signs of suppressed metabolic function, suppressed thyroid, um, appetite dysregulation, and all those things. So it's important to kind of uh, see the big picture here where uh, guys like Stan Efferding and Lane Norton are saying, look, calories do matter. And if you want to drop weight, you're going to have to uh, consume fewer calories until you get to your goal weight. And Stan, I would say, uh, many people say, is the world's leading expert on gaining and losing weight because he has probably done that to a more extreme level than anyone ever. He has gained and lost over 1,000 pounds from his beginnings as a skinny college soccer player, uh, weighing in at 140 freshman year and then going up in over 300 pounds and setting world records in powerlifting. Uh, but through his career, interestingly, in both powerlifting and bodybuilding, he has had to alternatively gain a maximum amount of weight to be competitive in powerlifting because the more body weight, the better you are to lift heavy weights. And then in bodybuilding, get all cut up and show the muscles glistening on stage with very, very low body fat levels. And of course, you've probably heard about the extremely unhealthy practices used by bodybuilders. Um, They're so widely denigrated for their abuse of steroids, caffeine, diuretics, uh, dehydrating themselves to get on stage. But aside from the crazy stuff they do on competition week, uh, the ridiculousness of, you know, uh, dehydrating for 48 hours and then eating a a big dose of candy bars so their veins pop out uh, from the instant dose of carbohydrates. Okay, forget about all that stuff, but the bodybuilder and the bodybuilder lifestyle, um, there are some things that we can learn from them because they are very, very good at getting down to low body fat levels. And if they are in a career that's sustainable, uh, they know what they're doing to the extent that they're not uh, burning out and causing these rebound effects that are seen uh, with the ridiculousness of the Biggest Loser contestants. So they have figured out how to do things in a healthy manner, uh, so to speak. I mean, somewhat healthy, right? The more uh, competitive and extreme you are, the less healthy it becomes. Uh, but that's what Stan's operation is all about. And his vertical diet is uh, it conveys the idea of gaining weight in a healthy manner and losing weight in a healthy manner by emphasizing easy-to-digest nutrient-dense sources of calories. And this lines up so beautifully with all the commentary I've had with Jay Feldman, where we really need to look carefully at the digestibility and the usability of the calories you consume. And so the Twinkie diet, hey, that's great for two weeks or six weeks or whatever the funny article conveys about the success of the people doing that. But of course, this is gonna lead long-term to nutrient deficiency and all kinds of problems with metabolic function, particularly the consumption of refined industrial seed oils that interfere with your body's ability to generate energy internally. So if you can uh, prioritize foods that are nutritious, easy to digest, that don't cause digestive distress and promote things like leaky gut, and therefore you're um, a clean, efficient, burning machine, then you can pursue goals like dropping excess body fat and actually succeed without prompting Uh, these rebound consequences. So I think that's what the Carnivore Scores chart is all about, is to help you focus on prioritizing the most nutritious foods that give you the most bang for your buck, calorie speaking, and they're not wasted calories that are difficult to burn for energy and more likely to be stored as excess body fat. So then you can start prioritizing protein, which is widely agreed as the ultimate dietary strategy. You've got to focus on your protein needs, get good nutritious sources of protein and by the way protein provides the highest level of satiety so you're going to naturally regulate your caloric intake when you get your protein needs met Uh, and the emerging science and thought leaders are conveying now that um, these warnings or these concerns about excess protein consumption have been widely overblown for many years And in fact, the body does okay even processing uh, excess consumption of protein more than is needed for uh, basic daily metabolic functions and survival functions as well as performance and recovery. So um, we've often heard, especially when the keto uh, craze was at its peak, that, oh, don't eat too much protein either. Of course, you can't eat very many carbs, but if you eat too much protein, you'll get kicked out of ketosis as well. And now we are seeing just how critically important protein is We are seeing uh, widely validated research that uh, in the older age groups we start to become less and less efficient with our protein synthesis so who needs the most protein in the diet it's that young growing teenager trying to put on weight for the football team and it's that teenager's grandma or grandpa who are becoming less efficient and at great risk for sarcopenia that's the age-related decline in muscle mass that represents one of the fundamental drivers of accelerated aging. So yo, grandmas and grandpas out there, uh, youngsters, and those of us in the middle age groups that want to perform and recover and regulate appetite in a natural efficient manner, let's prioritize protein from here on in. What that means in the estimation of many experts today is striving to get anywhere from 0.8, 0.7 grams per pound of goal body weight up to a gram per pound of your goal body weight so if you have excess body fat you just take that down if you weigh 220 and you want to weigh 190 strive for 190 grams per day i like uh, going for that high side it's also uh, more memorable and easy to calculate so just try to eat your body weight in grams of protein every day and indeed that can become a little bit of a challenge because maybe you don't feel like having eight eggs, you'd rather have three or four, and you don't want two steaks, you're fine with just one. And that's where I believe the uh, protein supplementation can be a huge boost to your overall performance, recovery, longevity, and appetite regulation. That's why I'm so happy to uh, release to the world the BRAD grass-fed whey protein isolate Superfuel with creatine and also another super important supplement, especially for anti-aging, and brain neuron protection as well as the widely validated muscular performance and recovery benefits. So if you can supplement and just take a scoop of protein and stir it in water where it's not super filling, it's not big logistics to prepare, and you're just kind of getting an insurance policy every day that you're getting your protein needs met. This will have so many wonderful downstream benefits, particularly helping you maintain that lean muscle mass, which is the key to aging gracefully. Of course, you have a few other objectives to uh, complete that goal, which would be to put your body under resistance load regularly so you can stimulate muscle growth and development or muscle maintenance. But uh, it goes hand-in-hand with getting sufficient protein. So a gram per pound of your ideal body weight on average every day. Um, One day you might be low, so the other day you can make a concerted effort to Uh, prepare a smoothie and put two or three scoops in there, or emphasize these high-protein meals. Uh, But another peripheral benefit that you're going to get there is you're going to be led away from those tendencies to indulge in nutrient-deficient foods, particularly the hyperpalatable processed foods that combine sugar and fat together. And these are the things that we reach for in many cases when we are tired, stressed, burnt out, and not properly or optimally Fueled over the course of our busy, hectic, stressful day because, for example, we've been trying to do intermittent fasting and not eat till 12 noon every day or any other uh, questionable practice such as limit our intake of the most nutrient-dense foods on earth in the vegan paradigm. It's going to be very, very difficult to obtain your daily protein requirements and assimilate the protein successfully. From brown rice and lentil soup and the other particulars that are tried when uh, animal foods are restricted from the diet. Same with uh, trying to get it through plant-based proteins. Um, Dr. Paul Saladino cites excellent research that the digestibility, the assimilate, assimilating uh, potential of these plant-based proteins are vastly inferior to the gold standard of whey protein and the other animal-based proteins that are now becoming popular, uh, beef protein and so forth. So we're going for animal-based protein supplement as well as protein-centric uh, meals, and that's going to be your key to lifelong, effortless fat reduction and maintenance of uh, ideal body composition. So that was all from just one part of Jay's uh, three or four questions from his excellent email. So back to the, uh, back to the list, uh, Jay asks... How can those who are still in the growing stages of life, uh, kids and teenagers, and I'd also add into this category uh, pregnant, nursing mothers, uh, how can the growing phase people maximize production of growth hormone through natural methods, sleep, exercise, diet? Obviously, too many carbs is probably a bad thing, as explained by your former guest, Dr. Robert Lustig. But is there a such thing as consuming too few carbohydrates? Is there a Goldilocks zone? Well, if you are in the growth phases of life, those uh, few people listening, right, who are uh, wanting to get pregnant, pregnant, nursing, or is still in adolescence or younger, um, you are talking about an incredible need for maximum cellular energy status at all times. So occasionally I'll field a question from uh, somebody talking about a-, a-, a kid who's trying keto or... um God forbid a pregnant or nursing mother, uh, any form of restrictive eating, such as trying to compress your calories into a window, trying to uh, deliberately uh, restrict carbohydrates in the ketogenic realm, that is, I'm going to say, blanket statement, that is not a great idea during the growth phases of life. So during those uh, phases, you're going to strive for um, the most nutrient-dense diet you can find, I would not recommend any sort of eating window. I'd start eating from the moment you wake up and then, of course, uh, soon enough before bed. But overall, we are trying for accelerated cell division and being able to support the new life force that's growing as well as get uh, bigger muscles and grow to your uh, full height potential and all that great stuff. So I hope that answers that part of the question. Uh, Now, here's an interesting one. Uh, during those phases, it seems like a lot of people are taking the free pass. Uh, The pregnant mother is now going to go and honor every craving and eat a bunch of junk food because she's pregnant, or the teenager, of course, is going to come home uh, from football practice and have a banana split before dinner, and oh, by the way, there's a soda uh, that was in the backpack, and then they're going to sit down to hopefully a nutritious dinner and then go eat some more junk in the evening hours. Now, I would argue that especially during these important growth phases of life. But of course, important for all of us all the time is to stay away from those nutrient deficient, heavily processed foods because they're going to mess up your potential for cellular energy production. So even though you're burning a lot of calories and you can somewhat mitigate the adverse effects of consuming uh, too many processed carbohydrates because you're burning them off, Uh, you're better off focusing on nutritious forms of food and eating really a a, a tons of that stuff as much as you can in many cases when we're talking about elite athletes i'm going to have some of this commentary in upcoming interviews with guys like dave scott six-time hawaii ironman world champion coming back on the show and really at the highest performing level of elite sport uh, power lifters Ironman triathletes, Tour de France riders, CrossFit Games participants, uh, they have a performance limiter of being able to consume and digest enough nutritious food over the course of the day. It's not really that they can't train anymore. It's that they don't have the energy on board because at a certain point you just hit your ceiling where you can only eat 8,000 calories a day in some examples. Uh, And that's an interesting uh, concept to reflect upon for a moment that. Uh, The energy status is the the limiter, the diet. So for all of us, we want to focus on minimizing our intake of nutrient deficient foods and maximizing our intake of the high protein, easy to digest, high nutrient density foods. And that's going to be the winning ticket back to Jay's question, maximizing the uh, adaptive hormones, especially during the growth phases of life. Here's uh, number three from Jay's email. There was a recent viral post on Instagram where a blogger questioned the quality of avocado oil in various foods. Um, How can we consumers make sure that our avocado oil is legit? I heard this shocking information as well. I think Paul Saladino was referencing a recent study, uh, and you can probably find this on internet search. We'll try uh, in our show notes. Uh, But they tested oh my gosh, I think it was 130 different products that contain avocado oil. And the results were astonishing in that almost all of the products uh, were tainted with other types of less expensive oil. So how indeed can we make sure that our avocado oil is legit or it hasn't been adulterated and um, uh, mislabeled? Um, The same problem occurs with olive oil, especially the designation extra virgin olive oil, which does not have any uh, legislative guidelines behind the use. So people can slap stuff on a label and not really have to uh, meet high levels of scrutiny. And so the term extra virgin uh, has been used on product that has been tested uh, to contain uh, other types of uh, less pure, uh, less nutritious uh, oils, not even olive oil, sometimes other types of oil in there. And so really what we're going for is to uh, know the source of our products and uh, apply tremendous scrutiny to our purchasing decisions and try to stay local, try to stay at the farmer's market for a lot of our shopping or or go to trusted internet resources like ButcherBox, which is ascertaining that 100% of their Uh, Meat is grass-fed, all the fowl are pasture-raised, the fish are wild-caught, and so we really want these assertions instead of just plunging into uh, marketing hype. Another great example are the egg cartons, which have all kinds of terminology on there, none of which is lining up with uh, legislative guidelines, for example. So you can see like hormone-free, cage-free, high omega-3, all these designations which have uh, confusing significance. Um, The favorite one to look for is pasture-raised. And so when you see a dozen eggs with that designation, you'll probably see a higher price point, deservedly so. Um, That term itself has uh, been abused a little bit recently. I've read some articles about that, unfortunately. But when you have the designations like that, it does indicate that it's vastly superior to a dozen eggs that say sunny, delicious, fresh eggs or something like that. Uh, But pasture-raised is implying that the chickens had um, some time on the pasture and were able to consume their natural diet of bugs, leaves, insects, grass, and then produce a vastly nutritionally superior yolk, as uh, determined by the richer color than the washed-out, kind of opaque yolks that you see from uh, eggs, chickens that lived in the coop. In the cage and had uh, exclusively a nasty diet of processed food, uh, chicken feed. Now some of the pastured eggs uh, apparently have supplemental feed and sometimes it says organic eggs on the carton and that designates that uh, the feed was organic which is better than non-organic but it doesn't uh, convey the superior type of chicken. The best chickens you're going to find are from a farmer's market, or even better, from local hobbyists where the chickens are running around the backyard. My friend Tony in Sacramento puts his dinner scraps every day out into the uh, chicken area, so they're eating uh, leftover food from the family meals and then producing these wonderfully delicious eggs. And um, boy, how can you do better than that for a sustainable uh, farm right there in the middle of urban environment in Sacramento? Anyway, so you're looking for pasture-raised and also Uh, certified humane is an official designation that you will see on egg cartons that helps convey that the chickens were raised appropriately, that they did indeed have a nice pasture to roam around on rather than um, lip service where sometimes the, quote, access to pasture uh, is presented where the chickens mainly lived in their chicken coops and inferior living conditions. And then there was a small door that they may or may not have used to walk into a small pasture at times. But that's a lot different from a truly pasture-raised chicken. And so it's tough to navigate uh, all these different options, especially with the marketing hype and the uh, misinformation out there. And apparently now avocado oil is an example of a problematic product category Uh, that goes hand-in-hand with the explosion in popularity that avocado oil has enjoyed in recent years, uh, starting really with Mark Sisson inventing the Primal Kitchen mayonnaise made with avocado oil, uh, the first commercial mayonnaise that was made without the highly refined industrial seed oils that you see on the best foods mayonnaise and the crappy stuff that's um, served in the restaurants, the fast food joints, and on the grocery store shelves. And so the quality control, let's say for a small company like Primal Kitchen, you could probably email them, call them up on the phone and say, hey, I want some designations that the avocado oil you use is legit. And I believe that they could serve you well there. And if you look on Primal Kitchen website, you can order a small glass jar of extra virgin avocado oil. And when that comes out of the bottle, it is an intensely rich and dark green color, and you can actually taste it. And so that implies a much purer and fresher product than the oils that are bland, especially in the category of olive oil when the quality of extra virgin olive oil is so disparate, starting with the worst, which are in the plastic giant jugs at the big box store. And for $12, you can get a half a gallon or whatever of quote unquote extra virgin olive oil. Uh, Usually these are from uh, foreign lands, Greece, Italy, and Spain. And in many cases, this product has been on the shelves for quite some time. It could be adulterated with other uh, less pure oils. And when you take a spoonful, it's going to have an extremely bland taste. And then when you join, uh, for example, uh, Olive Oil Lovers Club, we're going to put these links in the show notes. They will ship you fresh harvest with handwritten date on the bottle of when the olives were harvested. And when you take a spoonful of a truly uh, authentic first cold press extra virgin olive oil, it should burn or sting the back of your throat. And that's because the tocopherols, the antioxidants in there, are so potent that it's actually going to have that little kick to it. Um, So it has a rich, authentic taste and that is a great consumer uh, practice to see if what you're getting uh, is legit and fresh so the goal here is to do the best you can and I'm going to say in general if you are purchasing a jar of uh, avocado oil salad dressing or mayonnaise and the price point is significantly higher than the mainstream crap that you can find made with industrial seed oils that is some assurance that um you know, in in free market capitalism economy, that they've done some effort to uh, present a legit product that deserves that higher price point and can tell a story accordingly on their website or on the label. Um, these things kind of get uh, flushed out pretty easily if they're a joke. And so I'm generally trusting of a smaller brand with a nice story and people that answer emails when you inquire. And I have a hobby of doing that frequently, so. Uh, It's fun to kind of keep people on their toes and go and try to source the very best, especially in the category of oil, because uh, otherwise you're not getting a lot of health uh, benefits from consuming an oil that's not super pure and potent. And Jay says, hey, thanks for sharing your morning exercise routine on YouTube. And also, of course, now on my comprehensive online course that walks you step by step. Through how to design your own custom morning exercise routine jay says this inspired me to create my own morning routine with stretching wim hof breathing and the results have been wonderful and here's a final question i think it's from jay it might be from someone else sorry if it is Uh, hey do you ever wake up in the middle of the night hungry for those of us on low carb diets is it normal to wake up hungry in the middle of the night if not what should we do increase our carb intake Have a fatty snack like cheese, peanut butter, something else before bed? Or do we fight through it and wait for the hunger to subside? So I don't think that happens to too many people, but I'm going to contend that that's not a great sign. We do not want to be waking up in the middle of the night feeling hungry. That's a sign that something is off with our energy balance and our ability to, for example, uh, regulate blood sugar and stress hormones as we sleep. So when we sleep, everything should kind of uh, go dark for the evening, our digestive function, our uh, stress hormone function, and even uh, as Dr. Maffetone contends, um, our, our urge to urinate in the middle of the night is potentially problematic as it may suggest the adrenal glands are being stimulated and prompting the kidneys to experience urgency. Those of you Latin students know that adrenal, adrenal, literally means next to renal, next to kidney, and the adrenal glands are perched on top of the kidneys. So uh, mafetone's ideal is that you can sleep through the night without having to get up to pee. Uh, Pretty interesting take. Some other people, I heard Dr. Andrew Huberman say that that was no big deal, and if you just try to get back to sleep, don't disturb yourself with a lot of uh, bright light when you get up to pee. I like to have my uh, little red flashlight that I found on Amazon that emits a red-colored beam rather than a white-colored beam, and believed to be less disruptive to melatonin and to circadian rhythm. But feeling hungry in the middle of the night, I believe that's a telltale overactivation of the stress response and a sign of depleted energy or diminished cellular energy status, uh, likely prompted by either excessive stress, excessive training, and as the listener Jay proposes, perhaps uh, insufficient carbohydrate intake to fuel your busy active day and fitness regimen. I want to tell you about wildhealth.com. They're an online provider of comprehensive precision medicine and health consultation services. They offer DNA analysis, custom lab panels, extensive medical intake form with family history and lifestyle preferences, and regular online visits with a board certified precision medicine physician and a health coach whom you can message anytime through their convenient app Wild Health is generously extending Brad podcast listeners twenty percent off the cost of membership. Just visit wildhealth.com/brad or use the code Brad twenty at checkout to get twenty percent off and start taking control of your health today at wildhealth.com/brad. So certainly, uh, you can wake up and answer the bell if desired to consume something and kind of put to rest that uh, spike in ghrelin. That's the most prominent hunger hormone that actually does cause the secretion of juices in the stomach, and that's where you get your stomach growling. That's why your stomach is growling when you feel hungry due to the activation of ghrelin or the spike in ghrelin, um, and I've experienced that on occasion uh, most frequently when I was training really hard as a triathlete. i wake up starving and go inhale a bunch of cookies or whatever was around and then go back to sleep but i don't think that's a sign of health and stress rest balance and so we want to uh, wind the story backwards run it back as they say now the new expression never knew what it was we want to run that thing back to the previous day and make sure that you have really nutrient dense meals eating to satiety making the best choices and on the flip side regulating your energy expenditure in general, whether it's through workouts or through um, your busy, hectic, stressful day. So when we talk about energy balance, we always think uh, mainly in terms of uh, what kind of calories am I eating, but we also have that other side of the the coin where we want to optimize our cellular energy status at all times by consuming uh, sufficient quantities of nutrient-dense foods but also carefully regulating our energy expenditure so we don't overdo it and wake up in the middle of the night hungry. So yeah, that's a red flag and let's take care of things so that that's not a regular occurrence. Andy writes in and says, hey Brad, uh, this question's been on my mind for a long time. So um, regarding the healthiest humans and going back to the ancestral example thousands of years ago, why today are we encouraged to drink lots of water? Just like how burning our own fat for fuel relates to intermittent fasting, wouldn't the amount of water we consume also be a thing to look at uh, what's healthiest? I'm just not convinced there's been great research or solid thinking yet. If humans were healthiest while ingesting animal fats, were they also healthier while not drinking a lot of water throughout the day? Um, This is a really interesting uh, topic to discuss. And in the original Primal Blueprint back in 2009, Mark Sisson and I uh, referenced a lot of research about how wonderful the human thirst mechanism operates. There's a guy named Dr. Heinz Valton at Cornell University, and he talks about the uh, wonderful capability of the kidneys to uh, retain more fluid or release more fluid or regulate the sodium uh, fluid balance in the body, which is so important at all times, 24-7. We want to have that those kidneys functioning optimally so we have that perfect balance uh, of sodium and fluid and how the thirst mechanism will give us a profound signal to consume more fluid if we do get a little bit dehydrated so at the point where you you are 2% concentrated with your fluid balance in other words you're 2% dehydrated you're going to experience strong sensations of thirst and you don't really get into any uh, medical or health difficulty until you are 5% concentrated. So you're out there hiking, you get lost, you start getting thirsty, you finish your water bottles and you have to keep going for another hour. That's when you can get into real trouble. And when you get to that 5% mark, uh, that's when you might feel like lying down and you're gonna need some medical attention and so forth. So uh, the body will protect you uh, really nicely with that extreme thirst mechanism. And so we nice and tidy finished up the subject in the book that was published uh, 13 years ago, 14 years ago, saying just rely on your thirst. And the caveman uh, didn't have a a camelback strapped on his back, and he did just fine by uh, going into the river uh, when he was thirsty and so forth. Uh, However, the story is much more nuanced than that these days. Uh, Take it from me where i ended up in the emergency room in 2015 in really bad shape from a ruptured appendix and i was also uh, seen to be down many liters of fluid so i had successive ivs cuz i was extremely dehydrated and uh, uh you know at danger of uh, going septic and getting into uh, big trouble or dying uh, before i had emergency surgery for the ruptured appendix and this state of dehydration and the burned out organ came on the heels, interestingly enough, of two workouts in the span of about five days that were conducted in temperatures of around 106 Fahrenheit. It was a very hot summer in Sacramento. And I remember doing a great sprint workout and then two or three days later, having a great uh, basketball session in a very, very hot gym. And then what, 24 hours later, um, I was uh, fighting for my life in the ER. So um, it's it's possible for even a health conscious sensitive individual to come into a state of dehydration in a chronic manner. In other words, that first workout didn't cause extreme dehydration. I didn't have to go to the hospital, but uh, the fact that I went out there and punched it hard uh, three days later, oh, that's right, it was a basketball slash high jumping workout outside. So I was in the gym fooling around with the youth basketball team, then went out into 106 and did some awesome high jumping three days after I'd done a great sprint workout. And so I was probably, not probably, for sure, entering that second workout in a state of mild dehydration that I was not aware of sitting in an air-conditioned room working on my computer, right? So it only presents itself when I go and challenge the body again. So the point I'm making with that uh, stepping staircase down or that spiral down into extreme dehydration was that I didn't have the reliable signals as I might uh, going on a two-hour hike and getting lost for five hours, and having everything take place uh, in in quick time, and so we can get chronically dehydrated when we are pursuing ambitious fitness goals, particularly when we're working out in a hot environment, like going to the CrossFit box all summer in uh, Tennessee or Connecticut when it's hot and steamy weather, and you're not uh, paying devoted attention to uh, hydrating. Uh, preemptively or prophylactively. Um, Dr. Stacy Sims at Stanford, she's made some great rounds on the podcast, did a great show with uh, Gabby Reese on the Gabby Reese podcast. Um, she has a lot of nuanced observations about hydration, especially as it relates to females and their unique and distinct needs for hydration, as well as uh, dietary needs, uh, and draws some alignment to the different times in the female hormonal cycle where they have uh, different hydration needs that might extend above and beyond, hey, just listen to your thirst and you're going to be fine all the time. So we have since uh, uh, detailed the original boilerplate take on hydration with the recommendation that athletes hydrate strategically. Um, That's why I love what LMNT is doing, the electrolyte maker, Because again, we have to realize that some of our efforts to hydrate are probably misguided. So if you go and slam a great workout in high temperatures and you're sweating and you know you have to rehydrate and you just guzzle uh, a liter of straight water, your body is probably going to pee most of that out in order to uh, continue to maintain that optimal uh, sodium and electrolyte to fluid balance it does not like to get blasted with a straight liter of water in a short time frame because that's going to make you uh, hyponatremic uh, mildly right or temporarily right and so the best way to hydrate is to hydrate strategically over a longer period of time that's why many Uh, peak performance experts recommend getting up first thing in the morning and hydrating and squeezing your lemon juice or your apple cider vinegar in there and getting your body off to a good start after being in a sleeping state for many hours and uh, becoming arguably uh, mildly behind on your hydration requirements before stepping into the big day. So I am on board with the idea of strategic hydration where you're just paying attention to not only your uh, consumption of fluid throughout the day but also your devotion to uh, consuming that with an appropriate level of especially of sodium but also the other easily depleted electrolytes potassium magnesium so when you take a packet of Tea and sprinkle it into the water that you're drinking now you're getting appropriate dose of sodium potassium magnesium making it much more likely that that drinking of fluid is going to nourish the cells and tissues in the body that want to remain hydrated rather than more likely to pee it out over the ensuing hours when you just bust into uh, big chugs of water. Make sense? And uh, just to finish up the concept of hydration, you can probably read some content where it says that all beverages contribute to your hydration needs unlike what we've heard about caffeine uh, being a diuretic and dehydrating you, or alcohol dehydrating you. And it's also true that almost every food has a surprisingly high water content. Like a pizza is 50% water, um, a, a ground beef is like 70 or 80% water, and, and so on down the line. So that just consuming um, whole foods can contribute to your hydration needs. So a cup of coffee and a donut in the morning. Uh, is going to give you some water, surprisingly so. Um, And when this eight glasses of water every day information came out, it was fascinating to learn about the history of that because it was a totally random recommendation, not based in any science, and it was extrapolated from calculations on uh, the water content of a variety of different foods. So um, it could be considered a sound and solid recommendation in general, but really the best recommendation is to get ahead of your hydration needs and always uh, consider it not just water but a appropriately balanced consumption of additional fluid beyond the high water content diet that you're probably following when you consume uh, nutritious foods like fruit for example of course you're getting well hydrated when you consume an entire pineapple as I've been known to do first thing in the morning and so that is all good on the uh, question of Um, why are we encouraged to drink so much water today next question hey Brad what food that you've eliminated do you crave the most now and this comes from Andres dear Andres I have no idea because I eliminated these foods (laughs) and that is actually a serious answer Um, so when I'm committed to leading the healthiest lifestyle and following the most nutritious diet, I will make the decision and convince myself that certain foods are unhealthy and unnecessary, and so I'll eliminate them from my diet, and I will habituate away from them because I'm convinced that they're not contributing to my health. And I think it's a really important belief system to adopt that the, uh, the, the few moments of intense pleasure that you get from chewing on a few Skittles and swallowing them is simply not worth it in the big picture to the health compromising effects of consuming these indulgent processed foods that are all around us. So I truly and honestly, and I would not bullshit you here on the podcast, I honestly don't miss any of these foods that I've systematically eliminated over time that used to be my go-to delicious treats. I used to make my own hot fudge sundays in high school, and they were pretty badass and delicious with the chocolate syrup poured over them and uh, the bananas on the side and the different flavors of ice cream and the sprinkles of whatever. And boy, did they taste good going down, especially after doing a hard workout. But over time, and my most recent and interesting example is from the emergence of the carnivore message, Dr. Paul Saladino, Dr. Sean Baker, um, convincing me that uh, the, the highly nutritious, highly regarded plant foods that had also high levels of plant toxins are not only uh, non-essential, they could potentially be health compromising. And after listening and really reasoning with that message and doing further research, uh, I would stare down at my delicious salad and wonder, why am I eating this now? This does not uh, represent the centerpiece of nutrient density in the human diet that in fact comes from the animal foods, The animal foods that are the highest ranking on my chart. And I actually lost my taste for salad, which previously for many years had been my dietary centerpiece. And I absolutely loved it. But one of the main reasons that I love my salad, and it was a really good salad I'd make with all kinds of accoutrements. And of course, nice meat, wonderful dressing, a bunch of nuts and seeds, and all the chopped vegetables, very many colors, uh, maybe putting in some goji berries on there for an additional flavoring. Uh, it was a great, great salad. I loved it. I look forward to it. I loved preparing it. I loved eating it. But most or a lot of the reason that I loved it was because I was convinced that this was the essence of healthy eating and healthy living. So when presented with that new information, and I used to be the king of making stir fries, I'd make giant piles of stir fry for uh, large groups of uh, eating uh, dinner, family dinners. And I'd look at my stir fry and I'd go, why am I eating this? And so I, I kind of dehabituated from my favorite go-to foods, both healthy and unhealthy, after altering my values and beliefs around those foods. So a lot of us walk around uh, mouthing phrases like, hey, might as well enjoy life, everything in moderation, right? And then dig into your favorite donut shop uh, in your community and a lot of times the celebration of uh, indulgent food or processed food is kind of a cultural embedding where um, we're used to uh, taking our kids to birthday parties at Chuck E. Cheese's, and they have so much fun uh, playing on the video games and eating all that garbage food, and it becomes enmeshed in culture. Same with when I was coaching youth soccer, and after the soccer game, uh, whatever designated parent was on duty for week seven would bust out the cupcakes, and the kids would grab that and enjoy this treat uh, that they've earned after running back and forth around the soccer field. And so these become kind of integrated into your belief system, integrated into your habit patterns um, to the adverse impact of your health over time. And I really am a big fan of unwinding some of these cultural attachments and personal belief systems around indulgent foods that they are necessary to enjoy life. And if you wanna get me riled up, get me going on this subject, Let's possibly say the same thing about alcohol. Alcohol is the ultimate uh, social mixing, social fabric uh, connector, and way to uh, relieve stress, have a great time, release your inhibitions. But there are other ways to release your inhibitions and have a great time and connect socially, like uh, perhaps, let's say, being more brave and engaging in conversation that you might be uh, resistant to without a bunch of alcohol flowing in your system. So again, it's it's a symptom. It's not the cause of you uh, loosening up and having a better time than your usual buttoned up uh, personality would allow. And so uh, if we rethink everything, especially the need for indulgent foods, and boy, um, we've all experienced and been touched by the pain and suffering caused by uh, ill health, and family members struggling and suffering, and our own health struggles and suffers that are associated with lifestyle behaviors. So I want to enjoy my life as much as possible. That's why I've systematically eliminated foods that aren't contributing toward that goal. So uh, thanks for asking, Andres, and I'll try to answer um, as honestly as possible because uh, there are some treats and indulgences that aren't uh, a, a centerpiece part of my daily diet and quest for uh, optimal eating. Um, Those would include popcorn, uh, really well-made, homemade, fresh cheesecake, as opposed to the processed crap that you will find at popular cheesecake-emphasizing restaurants, or even worse, uh, in the frozen section at your supermarket. Uh, But I I love the the dish, if it's a really healthy, natural one. Same with ice cream. The handmade ice cream shops that are popping up now in different cities that uh, emanated uh, the early ones like in uh, Portland, Salt and Straw, and in Seattle, Frankie and Joe's. These are uh, popular uh, neighborhood ice cream shops where everything is handmade with fresh local ingredients. And boy, is that delicious to enjoy uh, a truly healthy, natural ice cream in strong contrast to the garbage uh, that is in the processed foods in, in your freezer section of your grocery store. Uh, particularly, I call out Ben and Jerry's because. They have this image that they've conveyed of being hip and cool and natural, and um, they love the cows and uh, they take good care of their cows and whatever nonsense is in their marketing material. But if you look on a lot of their flavors, to my absolute horror and shock, I notice that industrial seed oils are going in some of those processed products. So, um, in the old days, one of my favorite indulgences was uh, the Stephen Colbert flavor of Ben and Jerry's Americone Dream. Oh, it's delicious! I loved it. Uh, and now, if I take a single bite of that, which I have in recent years uh, here and there. It's disgustingly sweet. I can't stand it. And it's like, I can't believe this was my favorite where I could easily knock off a pint uh, without even blinking. And so by dehabituating, especially the same story with uh, chocolate, where I've loved chocolate bars my whole life. As a kid, I used to make these concoctions with fruit roll and peanut butter and little bits of Nestle's Crunch Bar that I'd break up and then add marshmallows and it was called Brad's Beautiful Banana Bizanza, sliced bananas on there too. You can see a picture of me on the Brad's Macadamia Masterpiece page uh, where I talk about my lifelong fascination with creating concoctions in the kitchen. Uh, But anyway, um, those candy bars that were a centerpiece of my youth experience on the planet, now a single bite would disgust me. I'd have to spit it out because I made the deliberate choice to uh, habituate over to high-quality gourmet dark chocolate And that was part of my uh, immersion into uh, the primal eating strategy, the ancestral eating strategy, starting back in 2008, where like, hey, dark chocolate's okay because um, it's low in sugar, it's high in uh, nutritious fats, and it has a lot of um, plant antioxidants and other nutritional benefits in there. What's the the love drug? Phenethylalanine is high in dark chocolate, and it, it gives off... Um, the same stimulation to neurotransmitters as falling in love does. That's why chocolate is such a popular food. But a huge, huge difference and distinction between a heavily processed milk chocolate bar that is, you know, filled with sugar, uh, minimal on the beneficial compounds that are contained in the cacao bean that are present in high amounts in dark chocolate, and then taking it a step further, as uh, discussed in detail with my interview with Sean Askinosie of Askinosie Chocolate, when you consume a mass-produced chocolate bar, you are most certainly uh, benefiting, supporting child slave labor in poorly regulated African nations because the only way that Nestle's Crunch or Milky Way can charge a $1.79 or whatever for that chocolate is to engage in the unhealthy and uh, unfair trade practices that are seen Especially in the chocolate industry, because a lot of the cacao beans come from these poorly regulated uh, labor practices in those African nations. So, when you're going for premium bean to bar designated dark chocolate, that's when you want to scrutinize your purchasing decisions. And guess what? When you start getting into this game, you realize how much better and more delicious a truly high quality handcrafted bean to bar dark chocolate is in comparison to the mass produced, disgustingly sweet. Chocolate bars. Ah, what did I say? Popcorn, cheesecake, handmade ice cream, uh, high cacao percentage, dark chocolate, which wouldn't even be considered an indulgence because it has so many nutritional benefits. And that's why I eat it most every day. But I think that's a pretty complete answer. I can't think of anything that I've eliminated from my diet that I really miss or wish I could eat. Or if someone waved a magic wand and said, Guess what? Skittles are super healthy now. Why don't you have some? Well, I'd have to go through the same thought exercise to convince myself that Skittles were great. And then if it were really true, maybe I would start to enjoy chewing on those colorful things and getting all the tie-dye on my tongue. (laughs) Okay, I think you get where I'm coming from here. And I urge you to reflect further on your dietary practices, especially the outs and rationalizations and phrases that you utter, like everything in moderation. There is no call for a moderate approach to dietary optimization these days because we are thrown so much garbage and crap in the mainstream food supply. And I know that budget sensitivity is a huge issue, but if you look at that carnivore scores food rankings chart carefully, you can see how highly you can score even on a very, very low grocery budget. You're just gonna be consuming more pasture-raised eggs and more sardines and mackerel in the can. Okay, maybe you're not getting the wild-caught fresh salmon from Whole Foods for $24.99 a pound, but certainly a $2 tin of sardines is gonna make it onto your grocery list. And speaking of the the superstars of the planet, what about organ meats? Oh my gosh, they are so inexpensive, it's ridiculous. And it's because there's no consumer demand for them. So you can buy grass-fed liver uh, from a quality uh, natural foods grocer For a few bucks a pound and make that a dietary center so uh, honestly I don't want to hear any backlash about how terribly expensive it is to scrutinize your consumer decisions same with fruit you can go over to Trader Joe's sorry international listeners if you've never heard of Trader Joe's but it's a national grocery chain that has fair and discount prices and you can buy all kinds of fruit there on a very low budget and make fruit a new dietary centerpiece so do the best you can within all your constraints, uh, but you know, take it seriously and strive to uh, rank highly on the carnivore scores chart. And you will soon realize that when you fuel yourself with the best nutrition and you feel great both during the meal and in the hours after your meal, you don't have that digestive distress that comes from eating the hot fudge sundaes and the Skittles, boy, it's gonna make your life better overall. And those few seconds of pleasure that you enjoy when you're downing a spoonful or a pintful of Ben and Jerry's, it's simply not worth it in the big picture. It's not a sacrifice to eliminate these indulgent foods. It's actually a sacrifice to keep them in your diet because of the adverse health consequences that they generate. That was a great line from Andrew McNaughton when he was talking to uh, a distant uh, family member at a big family dinner table and he was providing the rationale for his uh, highly scrutinized diet. And the the person uh, retorted, well, um, I, couldn't, uh, I couldn't get rid of pizza. That would be too big of a sacrifice. And he said, no, no, you're getting it backwards. The big sacrifice is keeping pizza in your diet rather than eliminating it. I love twisting that on its end. And I'll leave you with that twisted thought. Thank you so much for listening to this powerful Q&A session. And we had some great long answers because of the thoughtful questions. So please participate yourself. Email podcast at bradventures.com. Give us your feedback. Give us your questions. We'll continue to grow as a community. And boy, sharing the show helps so much. So if you can push that button on your podcast player and send a text message to someone that you think would appreciate this material. And then if you take it a step further, leaving a review, oh my gosh, it makes so much difference in the visibility of the show. I also want to thank you right now uh, for getting us uh, the wonderful boost in rankings where we landed in the top 10 for the first time in the Apple Podcasts fitness category. So, hey, now we can walk around saying I'm listening to a top 10 show, but the rankings change every day. So the next day you pop out, then you pop back up. And I don't pay too much attention to that because I'm just trying to be authentic and generate the best quality content I can. Uh, But moving up the rankings is a big deal because then other listeners can find it when they're browsing around uh, looking for ideas for content on Apple Podcasts. So thank you so much for listening and getting us into the top 10 ranking. Let's try to stay there with your help by leaving a review and telling others about the show. I appreciate it so much and have a great day. Thanks for listening. Hey, thanks for listening. Hey, thanks for listening. Hey, ladies. You may have heard me talk about Gainswave treatment for improving male penile vascular health and sexual function, and maybe you thought, hey, what about my needs? Well, Gaines Wave has got you covered with a revolutionary new treatment protocol called Gainswave for Her. of my special promo that you'll mention when you find your local practitioner. Buy six treatments and get one free. Thank you for listening to the show. I love sharing the experience with you and greatly appreciate your support. Please email podcast at bradventures.com with feedback, suggestions, and questions for the Q&A shows. Subscribe to our email list at bradkerns.com for a weekly blast about the published episodes and a wonderful bi-monthly newsletter edition with informative articles and practical tips for all aspects of healthy living. You can also download several awesome free eBooks when you subscribe to the email list. And if you could go to the trouble to leave a five or five-star review with Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to the shows, that would be super incredibly awesome. It helps raise the profile of the B-Rad Podcast and attract new listeners. And did you know that you can share a show with a friend or loved one by just hitting a few buttons in your player and firing off a text message? My awesome podcast player called Overcast allows you to actually record a soundbite excerpt from the episode you're listening to and fire it off with a quick text message. Thank you so much for spreading the word. And remember, be rad.